0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McRispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
1: of a detour.
0: With the first jewel claim... Oh,
2: it's a photo of the Derby! Mystic Sam!
0: The race for the Triple Crown
3: erupts into an epic party. The Preakness Stakes, May 18th on NBC. And peacock.
0: Just like Sunday for the Vikings, one play left, Steelers with three seconds from the 12, Roethlisberger throws for the end zone, it's in and out of the hands of Pat Fryer Booth, a throw that was on target, Anthony Barr and Harrison Smith. Which the tight end and the rookie from Penn State drops the ball and the Vikings hang on 36-28. to
2: Okay,
3: another fi- fun night. <laughs> um, you know, uh, that team that played in the first half for us was pretty darn good and I pro- think could probably beat anybody. The team that played in the second half um, probably could get beat by anybody. Talk Live. Shereen Williams is with me. We will get her up and running. This is a lot earlier in the day than she is used to joining me. So not that she wasn't on time. There she is. She was on time. I can vouch. It was a technical glitch because it's about, what, 10 hours before we usually do this. And it's an hour earlier in Texas than it is here. So it's 6 a.m. local time duty for Shereen. Thank you for Getting up and getting involved today, Peter King is somewhere on assignment. I think he's in L.A. doing something, but Shireen is here dealing with me for the next two hours. Good morning, Shireen.
1: Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
3: Well, you know, it would have been a much more interesting morning if the Vikings had managed to complete What was looking like it was going to be the all time epic regular season collapse. No team had ever blown a lead of more than 28 points in a regular season game. Now, the Bills Oilers playoff game from years gone by is the postseason collapse of 32. Regular season 28 is the high watermark, and it stayed that way, fortunately, for the sanity of. Everyone in Minnesota and anyone who is partial to the Vikings beyond that great state. 29-0 was the lead. The Steelers did everything they could to come back. And the Vikings did everything they could to let them come back. It really is amazing to think yet another game came down to the last play for Minnesota when they had a 29-0 lead. That in and of itself is inexcusable. Never mind the fact that they got the win. They were up 29 nothing midway through the third quarter. Of course they should have had the win. The fact that they had to work for it, that they had to sweat for it, that they had to hold their breath for one last play for it, and but for an unexpected assist from a young receiver, and we'll talk about that later, there may have been other opportunities to score. That's inexcusable. That's inexcusable. That should have been one of those rare nights where you sit back and you just kind of enjoy garbage time if you are partial to the Vikings. For a fan of football, it was great. For a fan of the Steelers, it was great. For a fan of the Vikings, they finally get a game where they can say, we get to enjoy the last 20 minutes or so of this. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, and and I, I'm amazed that at the end of the day it didn't get done because Ben Rothersberger, to his credit, after getting banged around all night, made a hell of a throw. And I thought Fryermuth had it. I didn't realize it came out. I thought he had it. It's like, well, here comes the two-point conversion. Here comes overtime, and we're going to have extra football, and the final score is going to be 44 44- Or what what would it have been? 42-36 or 39-36. But the, the ball came out. Harrison Smith made a great play on it. They actually guarded the front portion of the end zone four nights after they ignored the front line and got it done.
1: You know what, Mike? If they had blown that game, we'd be talking about two things today. We'd be talking about Chris Boyd and his stupidity instead of Chase Claypool and his stupidity. And we'd also be talking about the Vikings fire Mike Zimmer today. I mean, this is just repeated that they can't hold these leads. In the Super Bowl era, they're the 15th team in history. To each of their first 13 games, they've led by at least six points. Those other 14 teams are 155 and 27. That's what they went. So the Vikings, for whatever reason, and it seems to me it happens after halftime that they're losing these leads, they can't make adjustments. Whatever it is, whatever the reasons, they're not making the adjustments to to keep those leads, hold those leads, and it's escaping for them. And they were very, very, very lucky to win that game after having a 29-0 lead, or they'd be down in history, and I think we'd be talking about who's going to be the next head coach of the Vikings. And we still might be talking about that at the end of the season, but we're not talking about it today because they managed to hold on barely by the skin of their teeth.
3: Yeah, I think it's just been a stay of what I believe is coming. And last night, despite the victory, it's another example. Because if you're ownership, if you're the Will family, it's getting to the point where it's embarrassing. It really is. And I'm sorry if Mike Zimmer doesn't like to hear that. But come on, at some point, you've got to own it. You've got to wear it. You're tattooing it on your arm every week. You can't get mad when people point out your tattoo, one after another after another. And I wrote yesterday that if they had lost last night, Zimmer, could he be fired? I looked at the staff. All due respect, there isn't anybody on that staff that they could entrust the interim head coach job to. There isn't. Clint Kubiak, first-year offensive coordinator? No. Andre Patterson or Adam Zimmer, the co-defensive coordinators? No. They're as big of a part of a problem as Mike Zimmer is. What do they say when you got two quarterbacks, you have none? What do you have when you have three defensive coordinators who can't hold a lead? you got a problem. There's no assistant head coach. On the roster that I noticed, who do you? you there's nobody. You just got to finish the job with Zimmer, and when it's over, unless they get to the round of eight, unless they get that far, it's done. It's just done. It's it's done. And if it's not done, then my speculation slash theory slash hypothesis, whatever you want to call it, that Vikings ownership is content to be just good enough. We're fine being in the playoff discussion up until week 17 or 18. We're fine being relevant past Thanksgiving. We're fine with getting to the playoffs every other year, every third year, maybe winning a playoff game every five years, maybe once a decade losing in the NFC championship, because that's about where the franchise is right now. There's a point, I think, where you lose the patience of your fan base and this this constant dog paddle it's 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 got to end at some point and and the numbers that you quote just back that up it's getting to the point where it's just something that can't continue even if they have to suffer through some down years to build something great they never feel like they're going to be great they always feel like they're just going to be pretty good and pretty good Pretty good is what gives you what we saw last night, because when you're just pretty good, you screw around when you're up 29 nothing. When you're better than pretty good, you turn 29 nothing into 42 to nothing. And you know I, and I would say, my son and I were watching it, and one of his friends came over, and you know too many field goals, not touchdowns, I mean, just opportunities mm-hmm. to just drive the nail, and they didn't, and then once the scoring started for the Steelers, I knew it was going to happen. I've seen this movie enough times. Oh, you're so pessimistic. No, I'm realistic. And I'm not going to blow smoke up anyone's butt. We, we, we are authentic and honest and genuine at all times. And when we see the, the cracks in the foundation starting to crumble, we're going to say so. And I saw it coming. And I, I am surprised at the end of the day that they held on because it felt like it was going to be disaster. And it still feels like it was disaster.
1: Yeah, it did feel that way. It felt that way until you saw the ball on the ground, and then I was looking around for a penalty. Was there a penalty on the play? Because I was certain that Pittsburgh was going to get another play, and frankly, if not for Chase Claypool, they probably would have had another play. But, Mike, you talked about they probably need to get to the final eight. That's the thing with this team. They're certainly capable of that. They can go win a playoff game. You saw what they did to the Packers. They can win a playoff game. The best thing that Mike Zimmer said yesterday after that game was that the way they played in the first half, they can beat anybody. The way they played in the second half, they can lose to anybody. And that pretty much sums up their season because that's what they've done. That's who they are. And at some point, you are who you are. That's who they are. But they realistically have a chance to go upset somebody in the postseason. Now, I don't think they can put together a run of three games and and get to the Super Bowl But I do think they have a shot to to win that first playoff game. They're good enough. But for whatever reason, they can't hold those leads. They haven't held those leads. That's who they are. They blow leads. And they let the other team come back. And they don't know how to squash them when they're down. Can they figure that out over these last four games? I guess we're going to find out if they can.
3: There's a very real psychological component to that as well. And it applies in two different ways. For the Vikings... They start to feel, here we go, here, 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 here we go, here it goes again. Yeah. And every time it happens, it reinforces that feeling the next time that the planets begin to line up. It also has a positive psychological effect on the opponent because they're saying, here we go, here we go. We got them right where we want them. They're beating us by 10 points with five minutes left, here we go. They're up by 29 with 20 minutes left, here we go. And that's where they got to nip this in the bud. And I don't know how detailed and how specific and how thorough the planning is, you know, the halftime adjustments. Something's not going right right. where they lose their focus. They just collectively lose focus. And we hear all the time a coach is a reflection or a team. Excuse me. Got to get the saying right. The cliche has to be accurate the team is the reflection of the coach well if that's the case we've got the full psychological workup on Mike Zimmer because this team gets a lead and just puts it on autopilot and then it crashes into the mountain
1: well and you saw Ben Roethlisberger in the first half they were all over he didn't have time to do anything and he had so much time in the second half he was sitting back there so I don't know what adjustments the Steelers make or what adjustments the Vikings made at halftime, but it certainly was a different second half, and it was a different offense, and it was a different defense for the Steelers and for the Vikings both. It was just two different halves, the tail of two halves, right there before your, your very eyes. And, you know, the Steelers entered the game 6-1-1 and 1 in one-score games. The Vikings were 4-7, and so you expected because of the Steelers record in close games and the Vikings collapse in all those games, you just expected that the Steelers were going to come back and win that game. And and when they didn't, it, it quite frankly uh, was a, was amazing. Like you, you just expected them to come back and win the game and expected the Vikings to give it away, which as you said, Mike would have been the greatest collapse in the history of professional football in the regular season. So Vikings managed to hold on, kudos to them, but they got to figure out and very quickly, if Mike Zimmer and his staff are going to keep their jobs, how to make this thing work where they can play four quarters and win games and not give games away at the end. And if you're up 29 points, to manage to hold on to that better than what they did yesterday.
3: That first half was incredible. I'm looking at the numbers. The Vikings had 300 net yards. The Steelers had 66. The Vikings had... 176 net yards rushing the Steelers had 29 124 passing the Steelers had 37 and one of the big reasons the Vikings did as well as they did out of the gates Dalvin Cook found a way to return 11 days after suffering an injury that looked horrific at the time and he got hit so awkwardly against the 49ers right after he got the ball I mean so much for the five linemen maybe the guy jumped over them maybe he tunneled under them I don't know but the guy was there it looked like a knee it looked like a hip it looked like an ankle it looked like upper body it looked like multiple things it ended up being a dislocated shoulder he put a harness on he had 14 carries for 153 yards and two touchdowns in the first half the Biggest performance in any first half of any game this year—a Vikings record, obviously. Let's hear from Mike Zimmer as he praised the guy who got it together and may have single-handedly saved Mike Zimmer's job at least for a while. Yeah, I think he's a warrior. I think he's a warrior. He comes out and competes. He's a great leader. He's a great competitor. He wants to play. You know, he, you know, Eric Sugarman, our, our trainer. Texted him today and said, Hey, are you sure you're you're okay and good to go? And he says, I have no regrets, I'm ready to go. Um, you know, this is this is why I do this, because I want to play and that's that's the kind of guy he is. So there was no doubt in his mind he was playing tonight.
1: Zimmer calls you a warrior. Do you see yourself as a warrior?
2: <laughs> Whatever a Viking is <laughs>
3: Yeah, that's funny. And, hey, look, guys just want to play football, and sometimes guys have to be protected from themselves. And we've been talking from time to time about how the game has changed to the point where, for example, on Sunday, Chargers coach Brandon Staley would not put Joey Bosa back into the game after the defensive end had a concussion check and was cleared. He's fine. I'm not putting him back in. I can't help but wonder last night whether or not there was a little institutional nudge to Dalvin Cook to get him to play. But at the end of the day – We assume that the medical approach has gotten to the point where they're not going to put anyone at risk. And Dalvin Cook looked like he was unaffected last night. Good Lord, 205 total rushing yards. But 153 in the first half. I'm not saying you should have 153 in the second half, but to have only 52 in the second half after starting the way he did is a little surprising. But it's indicative of what the Vikings did collectively between the first half and the second half. Kirk Cousins was... What do you have? Like three completions, maybe four? I mean, you got the long throw to KJ Osborne that felt like, okay, they've staved this off until it Ooh, didn't. Yeah. It made it 36 to 20 when they were having their next uh, hot breath <laughs> by the Pittsburgh Steelers. But, but uh, across the board, offense, defense, and the Steelers didn't have TJ Watt for the second half. I mean, it, it's just amazing. I mean, kudos to the Steelers. Uh, bef- before I continue, to chastise the Vikings. But kudos to the Steelers for not giving up. We talk about a team being a reflection of its head coach. They did not quit, and they kept going. And Ben Roethlisberger, Najee Harris, and they just kept pushing and pushing and pushing to make this happen. They deserve a ton of credit for taking advantage of that sliver of an opening that the Vikings gave them.
1: Well, you know what the funny thing is back to the Vikings, Mike, and, and Dalvin Cook. I actually texted co worker Curtis Crabtree and said, Why is Dalvin Cook still in this game? And this early in the second half, like I was thinking, he has a shoulder injury, you probably should go. And then, as the Steelers started coming back, like, oh, well, that's why he's still in the game. And perhaps his best play was the reception that he had with 251 to go, he had that 17 yard reception on third and nine. Otherwise, the Steelers have even more time and more chances to score that touchdown at the end. But you're right. The Steelers just kept coming back and coming back and coming back and didn't give up. And it tells you, even when you're down 29-0, that you still have a chance in this league. You could still go and get some points. Now, they needed help from the Vikings. They needed a couple of interceptions to get it done. I don't think if if they don't throw those two interceptions, I don't think the Steelers get close to the Vikings. But they did, and here we are, and, and kudos to the Steelers for coming back and kudos to the vikings for finally holding on to one of these leads
3: that 17 yard gain by dalvin cook did allow the steelers or the vikings to get the steelers into the position where they started using timeouts but then alexander madison came in after that i don't know if cook banged himself up or if he's just worn out but madison went nowhere on two carries, and that's what caused that drive to peter out and set the stage for the Vikings to punt the ball to the Steelers, who had the ball at the four yard line. I mean, it, it really was an incredible final drive, and it underscores inexcusable. Uh, 216 left, Steelers out of timeouts, Vikings up by eight, Steelers 96 yards to go, and they did, but for Pat Fryaruth not holding on to the ball at the end of the game. They marched the ball down the field, and it was so predictable, and it was exciting. And I, as a fan of football, it's like this: this is great. Let's go, let's go, let's have overtime. This is great. You want a game like that where you think, oh, why am I watching this too? Wow, oh, hey, this is oh, ho. oh. oh. I, you want it to keep going, and the momentum was behind the Steelers. And the the one thing that we can point to, well, two things by one player. Now the stupid penalty on Chase Claypool early in the game ultimately didn't matter because it was all part of the, just that that collection of crap from the Steelers. But it did get Chase Claypool benched for a while by Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin, after the game, said, we'll see if if Claypool got the message. Well, he clearly didn't get the message because – and I'm still astonished that a guy who's got nearly two seasons of NFL experience – would do this. Would not understand the situation. 38 seconds on a ticking clock after he makes a key fourth-down catch to extend the drive, instead of doing what we saw Larry Fitzgerald do a couple of times last year—sprint to the middle of the field, put the ball down, and go get in position—he's celebrating. Here comes a teammate, and Chase Claypool's like, "What are you doing, man? What are you doing? Why, why, why are you why are you prevent me from you know enjoying myself here?" And then the ball gets knocked away. Pat Frymuth has to go get it. Claypool was almost lined up offside. He's mad at his teammate for taking the ball for. I don't know what he... What's he mad about? He, 14 seconds went off the clock between the time that he caught the ball and the time that they snapped the ball. 14 seconds. Now, I don't know how much time they would have needed to get in position to snap it, but not 14 because we saw it right there. I mean, can we play that again? It's amazing to watch this. The levels of... I don't know that it's stupidity, it's lack of awareness, it's immaturity. Coaching comes into this at some point. How do you let your guys, Shireen, do this? What a key moment. And they're still 35 yards from the end zone. And there's 38. And there it goes. And celebrate. And give me the ball, idiot. We got to get going. And he's like, what are you talking about? Pat Frymer's going, oh, here it is over here. Hey, come on, let's go. And 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 watch, look at Claypool's right foot. He's almost lined up offside. And then he's mad afterward. I, I'm astounded by this. And it reminds me of an item that was on the Steelers website back in March where Chase Claypool's diva quotient was mentioned. And again, this is Steelers.com. So this is somebody who's in the know about how the team feels about this guy. And I, I I was like, hey, we haven't seen it. Come on, let's not, just because he's a young receiver who's done well and he's kind of flashy, come on, let's give the kid a break. Well, we saw tonight what whoever had seen last year was worried about. And it's there, and they haven't managed to iron it out. If anything, it's only gotten worse.
1: Well, yeah, and he explained after the game, Mike, that he was mad at Trey Turner <laughs> who was trying to get the ball and set it in place because he blamed Trey Turner for knocking the ball away. The ball got knocked away, which cost him more time to go pick up the ball and bring it back and put it back. It wasn't Trey Turner's fault. Trey Turner's trying to get the ball and get get the thing lined up because he's acting like an idiot. And he has eight penalties this season. No other receiver in the league has more than five. He does everything possible wrong. He missed a block on a third and one. Najee Harris gets tackled in the backfield. And then he makes two spectacular catches. I think it just kind of sums up the good and the bad of Chase Claypool. He makes some outstanding catches, had a really good night, almost a hundred yards. And yet he, he actually probably cost them the game at least another opportunity, or maybe two opportunities at the end zone that they didn't have there at the end. And I guarantee you the Steelers practice situational awareness. They do that all the time. I guarantee you they do that. And yet he had none on the field. And this goes back to, hey, these are kind of how the Steelers receivers apparently operate. You go back to A.B. doing some of the things he did there, and now you have Chase Claypool doing some of the same things that A.B. did while he was in Pittsburgh.
3: But here's the difference between the two, and I'm glad you mentioned Antonio Brown. We didn't know about the A.B. stuff until it really hit the fan in his last year. And then you start hearing all the stuff that Mike Tomlin has dealt with. And this is one of the reasons why Mike Tomlin's a great coach. And anyone in Pittsburgh who doubts it needs to really ask themselves how much they understand about football. Tomlin is a guy who is able, for the most part, we're not seeing it with Chase Claypool, but he's done it with Antonio Brown and he's done it with others where he gets them to behave. He gets them... To listen to their better angels, and then they go somewhere else and it all falls apart. And I think what makes it so stunning is plenty of other guys who have had these tendencies to maybe not do things that are in the best interest of the team, they've still managed to comply when it mattered. You wouldn't have seen Antonio Brown do what Chase Claypool did last night for all his flaws, for all his faults, for all his issues. You would have never seen him do what Chase Claypool did last night, which tells me they're dealing with something behind the curtain here. They got an issue with Chase Claypool, and they got to ask themselves, is it worth it? Is the few plays per game that we get out of the guy, which make him look like a young Randy Moss, frankly. He looks more like a young Randy Moss than Justin Jefferson does when he's performing at his highest level. On the other hand, you got to deal with the diva quotient, as Steelers.com called it here's Claypool after the game talking about that moment that did cost the Steelers at least one if not two shots at the end zone
2: definitely gotta be better uh, I got tackled near the hash did my little first down point and uh, went to hand the ball to the ref he, he had just got there right um, so even if I got right up and looked for him he's put there so he, he ran down the field to come get the ball the ball got knocked out of my hands that's what cost us time Um, But I definitely do have to be better. Um, I knew the situation. I know I'm near the hash know the balls players in the hash.
3: Yeah, you do have to be better. You have to be more aware of what actually happened and to understand that your words don't match what we saw. And... I'm a Chase Claypool fan. Uh, Phil Sims, Phil, Phil Sims, isn't that funny? I've heard him referred to as Phil so many times lately. I called him Phil. Chris Sims, not Phil. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Who? Not that Chris is up. Not that Chris is up. Chris Sims saw Claypool at Notre Dame back when Chris was was part of the Notre Dame team at NBC, and he was raving about the guy. And going into 2020, his rookie season, this guy's going to be great. This guy's going to be great. I've been on board with it. I talked to him after one of his big games as a rookie. He was doing great things, but there's something going on there that Mike Tomlin's got to get control of and if Mike Tomlin can't get control of it nobody can get control of it so that's very disappointing and disconcerting and it didn't come up during Mike Tomlin's post-game press conference the only thing that came up was the question about him being benched for a while after the stupid penalty in the first half that's it and Here it is here. Now, look, I thought this was going to be offsetting fouls because Bashad Breland was guilty of some... See, there's a little bump there, maybe a taunt. There's a finger in the face, there's a shove. I thought that should have been offsetting fouls, and I was surprised Claypool was the only one who was penalized there. But Claypool brought it on himself by sticking a finger in a guy's face. You know, it it used to be the guy who retaliated was the only one who got penalized. But see, Breland, Breland shouldn't have done what he did there. That's the kind of thing that should get you in a little hot water, especially with this emphasis on taunting, but Claypool was at fault, too, and that got him benched for a while, and Mike Tomles asked about it. Did he get the message? We'll see. And, you know, I don't know. Shereen, you understand these mechanics better than I do. The media walk down, where you got to go from the press box down to talk, you know, if you want to be available to talk to the coach or whatever. I don't know when they leave to head down there, but, you know, it's possible that it hadn't really registered what Claypool had done at the end of the game when they were talking to Mike Tomlin
1: oh very possible Mike and you know some probably left early and some probably left as the game ends but either way they're trying to write stories on deadline and have their heads down and all those sorts of things so that is very possible that happened but you know Mike he's got to be better and and I don't know how you get through to him if he's not better in situational awareness than that right there then I don't know how you teach a guy to change but it's something that they have to figure out, as you said, whether he's worth it or not. At some point, guys just aren't worth the effort. They cost you too much. It cost you much too much time and effort. He's very, very talented, but he's got to figure this out. There have been a lot of Diva receivers in this league. There are still a lot of Diva receivers in this league, but you can't do that in that situation. And, and you see, compare it to how the Vikings handled – Chris Boyd, when, when he had his situation on the field, which, frankly, again, if the Vikings lose that game, we're probably talking about how huge of a penalty that was by Chris Boyd, but how the Steelers handled during that game, and I know you can't do it with the clock ticking, but after that play, you can get Chase Claypool and pull him t- to the side and say, you got to have better situational awareness here. We're going to talk about this after the game but get your head back in this game. Clock is running. We've only got a set number of plays left. Get back in this game.
3: And we showed the Chris Boyd taunt, and that's exactly what the players have been told repeatedly the league doesn't want them to do. Whether we like it or not, whether we think it goes too far or not, everyone's on notice. We're at week 14. I remember going into the season People were saying, oh, uh, we'll see the uptick for a few weeks and everybody will figure out how to adjust their behavior accordingly. And we're still seeing these fouls. And it bothers me because we're seeing them not called. The consistency still isn't there. But that one, when you're hovering over the opponent, looking down at him, that's the exact behavior that the league has said to stop. Whether we like it or not, everybody understands by now. Now, as it relates to Claypool, one way to get him – to do what's expected is to have a field general of a quarterback, a guy who imposes accountability on himself and everyone around him, a guy who sets an example that is so great that it inspires other teammates to always do the right thing at all times. A Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning, and apparently not a Ben Roethlisberger. Here he is talking about Claypool.
2: It's not really my job. I mean, that's to me, that, that goes up to Coach Tomlin. That's what he needs to do. That's his job as, as the head coach. It's not as, as the quarterback. It's my job to, to, to help manage what we do on the field and getting first downs and trying to score, um, dealing with player issues and, and whatever else you want to say. That's, that's the coach's job, not mine.
3: Now, look, I got a couple of things to say here. I, got, I think one of the reasons Ben Roethlisberger is reluctant to deal with player issues earlier in his career he was the player issue okay yeah. so maybe there's a certain amount of hypocrisy that's baked into this like i you know i kind of raised some hell and caused some problems in all sorts of ways back when i was young and 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 stupid frankly he was and it's just cuz time has passed and he hasn't behaved that way anymore doesn't mean it didn't happen but also secondly what the hell are you doing you're 39 years old you're the clear and undisputed leader of the team Of course it's your job. That's part of what being a quarterback is. That's why I will make the case until I take my final breath that there is relevance to quarterback wins. It's not a stat as objective as completion percentage, but you are the coach on the field. You are the one who scares your teammates into doing the right thing because if they don't, they have to deal with you. That's why Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl rings. That's why Peyton Manning was as great as he was. That's why other quarterbacks are great, not just because of what they do with the football. They have the personality and the leadership and the willingness to use it that keeps guys in line. And Ben, he's not... Hey, at least he's honest about it. He's not even trying, Shireen.
1: (laughs) I had two thoughts when I saw that, Mike. The first one is... I thought immediately, this guy's checked out. He knows this is his last season. He doesn't have to deal with this joker for very much longer. He is out of there. It's somebody else's problem. And that's exactly what he did. He put it on Mike Tomlin. My second thought was, is he taking a shot at Mike Tomlin here? And I'm not so sure he wasn't taking a shot at Mike Tomlin there, Mike.
3: You know, it's a good point because, again, with Antonio Brown, none of the stuff that happened behind the scenes played out Publicly until that practice after Antonio Brown found out Juju Smith-Schuster was the team MVP and the Steelers, they have a weird blind spot for that. They announced the team MVP before the regular season ends. And I remember when that happened a few years ago, I heard from coaches who said, why, why? You gain nothing by doing that. You wait till the season's over because there's always a chance. These guys have egos. They're competitive. They're always looking at what everybody else is doing on the team, who's getting the credit, who's getting the blame, who's getting the football thrown his way. It's it's a, a, a very, very weird, unforced error by the Steelers, but that was when we first became fully aware. Now, it was kind of building to that. We had seen some behaviors from Antonio Brown that were making people say, something's strange here, but it was all that year. The years before that, Antonio Brown was being Antonio Brown behind the scenes and Tomlin was keeping it from coming out on the field. And Shereen, your instinct may be right here. What in the world are we doing with this guy? And now it's still on Roethlisberger to try. It's still on Roethlisberger to lead. And I don't think that, and I agree with you that he has checked out and he knows he's just kind of playing out the string here, but I don't think that he's decided to stop being a leader. I think this is an indication that the guy just never was and doesn't get it. And I remember when Emmanuel Sanders went from Pittsburgh to Denver. Remember when Sanders was like, "What?" the difference between Peyton Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, are you kidding me? You know, he has me over to his house, spends time with me, talks to me. Because that's the thing. You don't just show up and kick the door in and say, all right, here I am to kick some ass and take some names. you got to cultivate the relationship with the person. You have to make them like you. You have to make them want to do well for you that's part of leadership it's not just issuing orders it's having the right relationship with the people that you are leading so they will follow when you set the example so they got a problem with Claypool and they got a problem with Roethlisberger they got a lot of problems but fundamentally they're in good hands with Mike Tomlin but there are some things that need to be addressed if they want to try to turn this thing around and you know the Vikings I think would have been done if they had lost that game and fallen to five and eight they'd have been cooked the Steelers still aren't They're still not, I don't think, completely cooked. But it definitely gets a lot harder when they took that loss last night.
1: Yeah, and Mike, I'll take issue with one thing you said, the quarterback's job to be liked. I don't think a quarterback has to be liked, because I know for a fact Peyton Manning wasn't liked by a lot of teammates. His job is to be respected, and his job is to uphold them to his standard on the field. And Peyton Manning always did that, and that's a great example of somebody who who has who did it throughout his career. And Tom Brady, too. And perhaps Tom Brady isn't liked by a lot of his teammates. I don't know. But I do know that, that Peyton Manning wasn't always liked by his teammates. But, boy, they respected him. They wanted to play for him. They didn't want to hear from him. They wanted to do right by him. All those things. And I don't see that with Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers. And frankly, I haven't seen that from Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers throughout his entire career. Even when they were winning Super Bowls, I don't think he was that guy.
3: Well, and it's an interesting point you make, because I think it is possible to be liked and feared. I think it's possible. I think it's possible. that I, and, and even if you don't like the guy, he's available to you. He's talking to yes. you. He's saying to you, let's get together and throw footballs. Let's th- get together and go over film and you're kind of thinking I really don't want to deal with this guy tonight, but okay. And yeah. Peyton Manning has a likable personality now, that's what we see publicly. And one one thing that you, we definitely learn covering football, how someone presents themselves in front of a microphone yeah. is very different from what you're going to get behind the scenes. We see that all the time. And Peyton Manning I have a feeling, is not the affable, folksy, charming guy all the time. (laughs) And you are going to get pissed off Peyton from time to time. And that may make him unlikable to his teammates, but but you need to have that relationship. You don't have to like me, you just have to work with me, but you're going to work with me. I'm not going to ignore you. And I'm not just going to I'm not going to just make demands of you without making sure you understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. And you may not want to hear it, but I'm going to tell you why I'm doing it. Sorry, but that's just the way it's going to be. That That's kind of the way I'm coming at it from reaching out and yeah. having a relationship, reaching out and spending time, even if it wears them down, because that's the thing you if, if you are going to have that that. I don't want to say dictatorial approach, but if you're going to be the sheriff, you can't just show up in the big moments as the sheriff. you got to be the sheriff all the time.
1: Yeah, even in the hard times, even when you don't want to do it, all that, Mike, you've got to be there and you've got to be that leader. And when I was watching Chase Claypool, I was thinking, would this happen with a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning? And I just don't think it would have happened because – They would have prepared that receiver would not have wanted to hear from that quarterback after that game. He would have chewed them out, just like Anthony Barr, I think it was, chewed out Chris Boyd during the game. And I realize, again, you can't do it in the game, but at some point, that clicks in, in the receiver's head. I don't want to deal with this quarterback after the game. I'm going to get this ball back and do what I have to do. I'm not going to celebrate my nine yard first down catch. I'm going to get this ball back and and move on to the next play. And and so I do think it's part of Ben Roethlisberger's responsibility, whether he wants it or not, as leader, as the quarterback, you are the leader of that team, of the team, not just the offense. You're the leader of that team. And I just thought that was a lack of leadership uh, last night in his post-game press conference and, frankly, during the game. After they spiked the ball, he could have gotten in Chase Claypool's face.
3: And I'm going to presume that there's no malice in Chase Claypool's heart when he does what he does. He's just a little misguided, and he needs to be guided the right way. And I think of Tom Brady and a guy like Rob Gronkowski, lovable guy but kind of a big, dumb idiot, and he's always been kind of a big, dumb idiot. But under the guidance of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, They they give him space to be lovable, big, dumb idiot. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. That's just kind of who he is. It's kinda he owns it. He he he's turned it into a brand for crying out loud. How can he be upset when you know he acts like a big dumb idiot for effect and for cash? And people say, hey, that guy's a big dumb idiot. But we love him. But he's been prevented from sabotaging himself by being guided the right way. And I think Chase Claypool needs to be guided. The right way, and if there is malice that's driving this, then get him the hell out of here. You know, I, there, there's yeah. there's two different types of diva receiver. There's the diva receiver who is just kind of blindly looking for praise and attention and and money and footballs, and yeah, you know, yeah. You know, but then there's the guy who's malicious, and the guy who's malicious is a cancer to your locker room, and you got to get him out of there. The guy who's just kind of showy and flashy, and this is what I do as a receiver. That guy's not potentially toxic to your team if you can guide him the right way. And, you know, Antonio Brown may not have been malicious. Maybe he turned malicious after he had a bad year in 2019, but they just got to get this figured out. And uh, clearly yeah. Ben Roethlisberger isn't going to do it. Let's hear from Tomlin. We've talked about him enough. We owe it to him to at least let you hear some of what he had to say after the Steelers fell to 6-6-1 and on the season. Here he is. You know, a
2: disappointing game, uh, to say the least. Um, you know, just to be blunt, man, we're getting handled up front on both sides of the ball, and that makes it difficult. It makes it difficult to, to do what we desire to do. It makes it difficult to, to maintain balance. Um, it makes it difficult to dictate to our opponents, um, you know, what happens or what happens next. And so, you know, um, it's going to be tough sledding for us until we, um, until we get better in that area. Um, we're not good in that area. we JV again tonight, and I'm talking about up front on both sides. Uh, we lost the battle in the line of scrimmages, and that's football. Um, we make no excuse. Um, it is what it is. Um, we got to be better than we were. Um, we'll turn over every stone to do that. Um, we got a long week coming up between this and our next one. We'll make good use of that time and assess not only what we're doing, but who we're doing, with, doing it with.
3: You know, later in that press conference, he was asked whether or not they would take a look at the coaches. And he kind of bristled a little bit. It's like the coaches don't make the blocks, the coaches don't make the tackles. So the not so subtle message there is this is about execution. This isn't about game planning. We had the game plan. They just got handled. And, you know, it's possible they were tired. They played in that late Sunday afternoon window, a tough game against the Ravens. They were lucky it didn't go to overtime. That would have been a favor to the Vikings if the Steelers had to play another 10 minutes of football into Sunday evening, and it may just be that the spirit was willing and the flesh was weak, but they did muster something. Now, and, and, and I, I'd, I'd love to be able to compare and contrast the message from Mike Zimmer in the locker room at halftime of the game and the message from Mike Tomlin, a tale of two very different mics last night when it was time to, to regroup and regather and redeliver a message to the team because whatever tomlin said worked whatever zimmer said either put them to sleep or put them on autopilot and set the stage for for the two to come together in almost a historic way
1: and mike this is amazing how quickly this league changes on monday on pftpm i think it was monday it all runs together after a while but we taught we had a whole segment on is tj watt an mvp candidate He didn't do anything yesterday. One tackle, one quarterback hit, goes out with the groin injury. We're not talking about that today. Four days later, boom, TJ Watts, MVP hopes are out the window, and they just hope they can get him back and get him on the field because you saw how much they missed him. Now, they weren't good in the first half when he was there, but you saw how big of a difference he made against the Ravens in that Sunday game, and he just couldn't do it because of the groin, and then went out completely in the second half when they really needed him there.
3: And now we, we have to wait and see if he's going to miss any time. They've got a tough stretch. They really do. I mean, it's not quite yet time to stick a fork in him because I've learned anytime you stick a fork in the Steelers, they rip it out and, and jam it <laughs> into your eye. That's just how they are. But down the stretch, they have the Titans, they have the Chiefs, they have the Ravens, they have the Browns, not necessarily in that order. They finish with the Ravens. They have the Browns week 17 Monday night football. It's Titans and Chiefs the next two games. So this is not going to be an easy road for the Steelers. Their only benefit is they get a couple of extra days. And the Vikings get one extra day on top of that because they go to Chicago and they will probably be favored by a point or two in that game on, on that Monday night coming up week 15. They've got the Rams at home the day after Christmas, the Packers week 17 Sunday night football, and then final game at home against the Bears. I think they can afford to. I don't know that they can afford to lose. We just don't know. We don't know if nine and yeah, eight is going to know. be good enough. We just we just don't. They they may have to run the table. If they run the table, I think ten and seven is going to get them in. Uh, but that team I saw last night mm-hmm. isn't going to run the table because they can't hold it together for sixty minutes of any one game.
1: Yeah, and the Steelers playoff percentage is now down to ten percent, so they're probably not going to make the playoffs. <clears throat> and that's something that's unusual with the Steelers, but even more unusual would be if they ended up with the losing record. It's been a long, I think it was 2003 the last time they had a losing record. This is a team, Mike, speaking of how quickly things change, they started out 11-0 and last year. They started out 11-0 and last year, and they could finish with a losing record this season.
3: Yeah, you're right. It was 2003. They were six and ten, and they've been eight and eight a handful of times since then. Yeah. In Bill Cowher's last season, 2006, eight eight. they went eight and eight. They could go eight eight and one. Eight, they eight could. One. They true. could. It's still possible That'd to finish funny. 500 in in That's a 17 hilarious. game season, and, and uh, that that would save Mike Tomlin from uh, from you know losing his streak of not having a losing season. And yes, it has been a generation since the Steelers had a losing record that in and of itself is amazing yeah they won two Super Bowls along the way but to but to be I mean they're basically what the Vikings are but like a you know a, a level higher the idea that they're always competitive they're always in it their down years aren't through the 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 floor uh they're eight and eight. Oh, we had a horrible year we only won as many games as we lost and then you never know when they're going to rise up and get something done but but it has been 13 years since their last Super Bowl victory, and they're going to have some big decisions to make in the offseason. All right, we need to take a break. When we return, some rumors and reports circulated during last night's game. Confirmation came after the game. Horrible news regarding a former perennial Pro Bowl player. We'll get you up to speed on that when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Mick crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. For the world's greatest athletes, this is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock.
3: Tragic news last night. Demarius Thomas, first-round pick of the Broncos in 2010, found dead at his home in Roswell, Georgia. Police confirmed that to multiple media outlets, including the Associated Press. The Denver Broncos issued a statement overnight regarding the situation, said the Broncos were devastated and completely heartbroken by the sudden tragic passing of Demarius Thomas. D.T. was beloved by our entire organization, his teammates and coaches and our fans. Recently, retiring as a Bronco, we were very much looking forward to celebrating Demarius for years to come as one of the greatest players in franchise history. He was with the Broncos for nine years, spent some time with the Texans and also with the Jets, retired after the 2019 season, 33 years old, would have turned 34 on Christmas Day. There are some quotes from... Josh McDaniels, who was the coach of the Broncos, Shireen, when Demaryius Thomas was a first-round pick, quotes to Mike Kliss of 9 News in Denver, praising Thomas. You know, he had a difficult upbringing, tough background. Remember, mother and grandmother in prison, and there was an effort to get them released several years ago, and that ultimately was successful. And just a guy who was – and I've met him and interviewed him a couple times. Not allowed – personality but very nice and humble and friendly and it was just stunning and this is the world we exist in now rumors start to pop up on social media and you go through this stretch of is this really true and I started making phone calls and sending texts and it's like well, we, and and you just start to get this weird kind of ominous sense that it sounds like this is what happened and it's just a horrible tragic situation and obviously we extend our deepest condolences to family and teammates and coaches and friends and everybody who knew and interacted with Demarius Thomas. It, it, it's, it's sad, sad news, not, not just in the holiday season, but any time of the year. It's horrible, but it really feels like it's harder for people to process it when it happens at, at the, you know, at the time of the year where things are supposed to be a little bit happier than they otherwise are.
1: Well, and also, Mike, because he just played in 2019 with the Jets, so we all remember him on the field, and it just doesn't seem like two years later that he should be gone. And, you know, I remember those 2013 playoffs. He was so good in that stretch of games. He had eight catches for 54 yards at a touchdown against the Chargers. They played New England the next week, seven catches, 134 yards at a touchdown. And, of course, they got blown out by Seattle in the Super Bowl, but he had 13 catches, 118 yards, and a touchdown. and was just outstanding in that postseason, and and did everything he could to help the Broncos win the Super Bowl. And of course, he ended up getting his Super Bowl ring, and wasn't as big in that postseason run. But I read all the tributes about him. I don't remember ever talking to him, and I read all the tributes. And the one thing that kept coming up was his smile. Everyone talked about the great smile that he had, and that's how they were going to remember him was was with his smile. So. You know, when people die, a lot of everything nice is said about people. But in this case, I think it's truly de- deserved with Demarius Thomas. I think people loved him. He was not the Diva receiver that we, we think of receivers. He was truly a great person and a big heart and did a lot of things for that community and that team uh, and the, all the teams he played for. When he got traded to Houston, I thought he was going to put them over the top that season. And unfortunately, he had a season-ending injury and didn't get to play in the postseason.
3: Humility is incredibly underrated because by definition, humility isn't noticed, right? You don't draw attention to yourself by being humble because there's someone else drawing attention to themselves that fills the vacuum. It fills the void and you have to really sit back and. And evaluate, and it's like, you know, this guy has a high degree of humility, and he's never going to be the one to take, because it doesn't work. The whole process of humility. Say, you know what, I'm very humble. That's that's not how it works. And he was an extremely humble and inherently humble person. Here's what Peyton Manning had to say about Demaryius Thomas. DT was a better person than he was a player, and he was a Hall of Fame player. That tells you how good of a person he was. He treated my kids like they were his own. He was there for every teammate's charity event. I texted with DT on Tuesday. He was talking about a touchdown audible we called versus Arizona in 2014. I'm absolutely devastated. I have a Demaryius Thomas story because it's one of those moments where you get an unexpected dose of candor from a player this was after the 2014 season Super Bowl in Arizona doing the week before that frenetic car wash of yeah. guests and one after another after another we had to marry Thomas and that was a year Peyton's third in Denver that they lost at home to the Colts in the divisional round remember that that set the stage yeah. Yeah. for deflate gate and Colts-Broncos is the forgotten divisional round game from that year because all the talk is Ravens-Patriots, and the Patriots were down 14 points twice, and the Ravens got sufficiently upset by what the Patriots did that they planted the seeds for Gate. That's how the legend goes. But I remember asking Demarius Thomas, what happened in that playoff game? And he said, and you don't get this kind of honesty and authenticity from most players. He said, on the record, on camera, on microphone, He said, we had guys that didn't want to play in New England. They did not want to pack up and go play in New England, and they got their wish. It was amazing. I was blown away, and I still remember the first thing I thought of last night. I mean, because that was just one of those moments where you're like, you don't get that kind of real humanity in this business because you you can't. I mean, you know, not many guys can say something that truthful without creating a real problem for themselves but I think Demaryius Thomas kind of lived who he was and if he had any teammates are upset that he said what he said well that's your problem because it's true we had guys who didn't want to go play the Patriots so they 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 they, they didn't have to go play the Patriots because we got our butts kicked by the Colts and I, I'll never forget that moment because it was it was because it's not like it's, it's, trust me it had nothing to do with my interviewing skills that made it even more memorable he just kind of said it
1: And you love guys like that, that candor, candor, and you don't get that with Patriots players or some others. And he was authentic, I think. And, you know, Mike, he had that five year stretch there where he had over a thousand yards, one, one year, 2014, he had 1600 yards, but he was one of the best receivers in the league for those five years. I mean, a really outstanding receiver. And we might not have thought of him when we start listing the top two or three receivers, but you're certainly putting him in the top 10, and there were a couple years there, I think you're putting him in the top five as one of the best receivers in the league. He was outstanding, what he did on the field, and obviously off the field. He was so big to, to that community, and everything he did uh, within the Denver community was just outstanding. Another thing I remember about him was, remember Georgia Tech, Chain Galey came in and completely changed that offense to a run-oriented offense, and he stayed. He stayed at Georgia Tech, and I remember being impressed that he stayed at Georgia Tech and didn't try to get out of there and go somewhere else.
3: Boy, it's hard to watch uh, what we have on the screen now. Um, Let's go ahead and take a break. Um, We'll be back with more PFT Live right after this.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?